All right, this is lesson two on financial stewardship. Getting a, we call it getting a heart for stewardship. And as I said with the last lesson, I'm probably gonna say this every class for these two months. Something the Lord's dealing with me about and it's just an observation of wisdom that uh, your life, this is the quote, your life will never flourish as God intended it to without a budget. Your life will never flourish as God intends for it to without a budget. And so if you think about that, your life doesn't just include money, uh, but your time, your time has to be budgeted. Wednesday night, if you were here Wednesday night, I appreciate you coming back because Wednesday night was pretty hard. But one of the things I, I said Wednesday night was too much of the time our excuse is I don't have time. And I said, let me correct that for you. What you ought to say is I don't have time management. We all have the same number of hours in the day. The president of the United States may be the busiest man on the planet. He can do it all. And this current president even fits in about a thousand rounds of golf a year. So he has good time management. Time is not the issue. A time budget is the issue. Money is not the issue. A money budget is the issue. Uh, Concerning your body, food is not the issue. A calorie budget is the issue. So everything in our life that must grow and prosper and succeed has to have a budget, whether it's time budget, calorie budget, sleep budget, money budget. And so even if you are very sound and apt with your money, maybe you listen to these lessons concerning your health. Maybe you listen to these lessons and you tweak your ear to hear hear concerning time. But if you're a business owner, your business will never prosper. It will stay stagnant in a holding pattern without a budget. One of the things you will find all of these Fortune 5 country companies have is an accounting division that sometimes runs several thousand people thick because they have a budget to maintain. They have quarterly reports. They have to report to their board of directors and their stockholders. They have to account for all the money. Account. That's why they have accountants. They have a budget. And they start leaking in advance to the quarterly report uh, how much their plus minus is or their over under and how much they've lost or how much they've gained in anticipation to kind of soften the blow or kind of anticipate a new stock boom on them. They do this because they have a budget. Now, if the world knows that, why don't we as Christians get that? If they can overcome their carnal nature without the Holy Spirit, why can't we with the Holy Spirit? If they can be disciplined and focused without the Holy Spirit, why can't we with the Holy Spirit? And so this whole curriculum is designed to help us become better stewards. Primarily the focus is money, but also our bodies, our time, our families. You gotta have a family budget and make sure you spend proper time with your kids and at the same time not spend so much that you don't neglect your boss and what he's paying you to do. All right, here's the other quote I want to give you. The Lord dealt with me this week about on Tuesday. He said, um, and I was praying about this lesson. He said, there comes a time when every person must master money if you ever want to advance. There comes a time where you, you have to eventually master money. As in, you know how to handle it. You know how to use it. You know how to save it. You know how to uh, not be sucked up into it. You know how not to worship it. But there comes a time in every person's life, if you intend to advance, you have to master money. Some people get that when they're 10 years old. Some people never get that. And those that never get that always live poor. They always live hand to mouth. I'm by no means a financial guru, but I've read enough books and am well read enough to know so many millionaires and multimillionaires, they've bankrupted themselves numerous times. 
Not because of bad money management, just because of risk. And you know what? They always bounce back because they know how to handle money. That we had the famous guy here in Nashville, Dave Ramsey. He was a millionaire before he was 30 and broke before he was 30. And yet he's bounced back again because he, know, he learned how to master money. And until you learn how to do that, uh, it doesn't matter whether you have 10 bucks or 10 million bucks. If you know how to master it, you're not going to stay with what you got. Now, at the same time, if you don't ever master money, you ain't going to stay with what you got. Amen. And I've pastored enough people now over the years to know it doesn't matter how much money you make. I dealt with one couple that made, uh, as a combined income, near six figures and had nothing to show for it and was always broke because of no money mastery. And yet I know of another couple that maybe makes, you know, 30 or 40,000 combined and they have a lot of nice stuff because they've mastered money. See, poverty is not about money. Poverty is about money management or lack of management. So we're teaching these lessons so we can see what the Bible says and get a heart to glorify God with stuff, substance. Not, not that we can be rich, though he doesn't have a problem with that, but so we can prosper and own businesses and put more money in the kingdom and win more lost and prosper and, and just have the wisdom. The hand of God upon our life ought to cause us to prosper. But the laziness of, God seems, uh, the laziness of flesh seems to be a lot more powerful than the hand of God. And so if you own a business, if you make an income, if you have a pension, if you have a retirement, you have to master money and know how to be a good steward over it. All right, so those are my two quotes, and I'll give them to you every week for the remainder of these lessons as well. Let's jump into our lesson now, getting a heart for stewardship. As we have seen, stewardship is taking care of something as though it was yours, though you know full well it belongs to someone else. Nothing we have truly belongs to us, not our shoes, not even the breath we breathe is ours. Not our business, not our vehicle, not even our children are truly ours. They belong to God. It is all God's. This is a very critical truth we need to solidify in our hearts. So get this wrapped up in your heart. If you realize that the business God has given you is God's, you're not gonna be lazy with it. He has a plan to grow it. He has a plan to prosper it. And it's going to take W-O-R-K. Not W-K-R-P, that's in Cincinnati, but W-O-R-K. <laughs> Let's look at some verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's everything around us. Belongs to God. And he saw fit to give us a little bit of it and bless us with it. And you ought to be thankful for it. Thank you, Lord, for what you have given me. Because it could be worse. You could be living on a trash heap outside of Guadalupe, Mexico, but you don't. Now, you might live in a trash heap because you don't take care of your stuff, but you're not living on a trash heap. And you can always clean up your trash heap. Amen. First Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Think about that. How far have you come from being buck naked and screaming? You have come a fur piece. You are not buck naked, thank the Lord, and uh, you usually aren't screaming. God is, uh, he's opened up his hand and satisfied you. You have clothes, you have family, you have friends, you have watches. Every one of us here has a bunch of watches. We have phones. I mean, I got, I got extra phones around my house. The kids play with them. Vehicles. I don't think there's a single family here that doesn't have more than one vehicle. You have multiple cars. We're blessed. We have a house that's heated and cooled. It's climate controlled. We have running water. We can flush problems away and never have to see them again. 
We have it good and it's all God's doing. And he permitted us to be born into this country to really enjoy all this. But are we honoring him with it? Or are we just kind of lazy and taking it for granted and selfish and complaining because it's not better? What, what, what could be better? That, that's why as a pastor, my heart is to see every person in my church get on the mission field to see what it is to poop in a ditch. Amen. To see what it is to watch kids run around naked till they're 10. To see what it is to see folks not having electricity but be full of joy. Even Pastor Ingolf pointed out when they were under communism, they were under very, very hard times and constant turmoil. And, and West Germany was the free Germany. And he said he got to go across one time to minister at some West German churches. And though they had all the freedom and they had all the blessings of the West, he said they didn't have the joy that we persecuted Christians did. They didn't have the freedom. They didn't have the liberty. They didn't have the peace. They had all the stuff the West had to offer but none of the joy the church had to offer. And yet they were the church. And it just kind of lets you know, the blessing of the Lord is a very double-edged sword. It comes because we know God, but it can also ruin us against him. And so we have to be careful that we receive the blessing of the Lord, the prosperity, the houses, the cars, the stuff, the nice clothes, and yet we still need God more than we want stuff. And we're thankful for the stuff we have. And if you truly realize it's, it's God's and not yours, you'll give it away when he asks you to. You won't even have to pray about it. He'll say, give that watch away. Give those shoes away. Give that money to that missionary. You sell that car and put it in the kingdom. And you won't think twice about it because it's all his anyway. He's just letting you borrow it. Just like if I let you borrow a power tool and I need it back, you don't argue. Yeah, let me get that for you. Because you realize it's not yours. All right. I let somebody borrow a power saw. I said, when you're done with it here tomorrow, give it to you know, Jeff, let him use it. You won't have to pray about that. It's not yours. You just do what you're told with it. We have to keep that in mind. That's what stewardship is all about. We brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You know how much stuff Miss Vera just took to heaven? Nothing. She took nothing to heaven. It reminds me of a joke now. Let me try to get it out right real quick. Uh, this person was on their deathbed and they went to their three brothers and said, I want, I'm gonna distribute my wealth to you and all a million dollars a piece. And during the visitation, when I go home here, I wanna take it to heaven with me. So you come up and you just slip it in the coffin. And that way I can have it when I go to heaven. And so uh, the three brothers line up, the brother dies, the three brothers line up and they've got stuff and they, they have their quiet time. They bend over the coffin and they shove the, wads of cash or the big stacks of bills in the bottom and so after dinner after the funeral and after the dinner and all that the brothers are talking they said well did you did you honor our brother's wishes and the first brother said oh yeah I said it was hard but I had the money packed in me got it in the bottom of the coffin and when the second brother said oh yeah yeah he said uh, I honored our brother I told him I'd take that money that million dollars and put it in that coffin I don't know if he got to heaven with him or not but it was hard. I agree. You had to have that overcoat and get all that money in the coffin so nobody would see because you don't want anybody stealing it. The third brother says, really? I just wrote a check. <laughs> yeah. We start life off with nothing and we end life with nothing. Anything we acquire in between will be because of the mercy and the hand of God. So God's been very merciful to us. If you stop to realize, he could have allowed your spirit to be born into an African baby. 
in the bush. He could allow the essence of who you are to be born into a persecuted baby in China that would be drowned and thrown in the river because it broke the birth rate. He could allow your spirit to be born into a baby in the Middle East under Islam. You know, our, our, our body's just genetic stuff. Our spirit is from God. And he chose to breathe your spirit into the embryo inseminated by dad and make you who you are and allow you to be born or live here. And that's on purpose. And so every one of us has a tremendous responsibility to honor God with the wealth that is available in these United States. And until we do so, and we become good stewards over it and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? You're not going to advance. God wants every one of us to advance. The, the, the American nation is known as the Christian nation and is the foremost promoter and propagator of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 8, the Lord says, I have given you the power to obtain wealth that I might establish my covenant with the nations. We are here in this nation to make money to establish God's covenant of Jesus Christ with the nations. And we, we have to think more than just living and keeping up with the Joneses. We have to think more than just having nice stuff. We have to realize stewardship is all about the Lord rewarding us with more stuff so we can put it in the gospel and wrap this dispensation up by financing the gospel and getting it out there. There's a Dr. Sumrall story where um, one of Dr. Sumrall's young sons in the faith was a very successful pastor. And he came up to him and he said, Dr. Sumrall, let me just tell you how good my church is doing. We just built this building. We've got this. And, and I've got over $5 million in the bank. And, and he said, uh, the person relating the story said that when that young man said that, Dr. Sumrall slapped the man. He said, shame on you, son. Shame on you. When did I ever teach you to hoard up money as a preacher? How many souls are wrapped up in that $5 million? How many missionaries could you fund right now with that $5 million? You just built a building. You don't need the money. Shame on you for hoarding. Shame on you for stockpiling. So it's a, it's a profound way to think about it. How many souls are wrapped up in that money that, that preacher's church? I mean, why, why do we have money as a church? To preach the gospel. To hoard up money unless, unless you're saving it up for a building account or a building. What, what, there's no reason to stockpile it. And so it's stewardship. Psalm 145, 16, thou openest thine hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. That's God. He opens up his hand and satisfies us. It's all his. It all came from him. Your iPhone, you have one because God permitted you to. Your flat panel, you have one because God permitted you to. Your vehicle, you have one because God permitted you to. Don't you know if God doesn't want you to have something, he will resist you to the nth degree of the earth and you'll never get it? So we have to adjust the way we see things and realize God is looking for us to be stewards. If you don't like what you do have, take care of what you do have and God will promote you with better. But don't, don't be a, a poverty-minded individual and complain about it and kick it because it's ugly. Take care of it. 1 Timothy six seventeen. charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. We're not against rich people. We're not against wealth. But sometimes rich people are arrogant and elitist nor trust in uncertain riches. You know, thank God for wealthy people, but you don't trust in that. You can be bankrupt overnight. But trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Notice there, God gives us, he gives us richly all things to enjoy. The things you have, he gave to you so you could enjoy them, not squander them, not trash them, not uh, waste them, but to enjoy them. This is, this is part of God's will in our life. 
God gives us these things to enjoy, not squander, waste, or ruin. It is God who gives us these things, not merely we who get them. So we've got to stop thinking this. As Americans, we've been taught to be self-made people. I went to college. No, God permitted you to go to college. I got a degree. No, God permitted you to think clearly. God permitted you to get into that school. God permitted you to get the right professors. God permitted you to have the student aid. God, that's one of the things I love about the African mindset. The Christians over there, they just say, isn't it wonder how, how wonderful how God did this? God permitted. God, and it's, they, they put all the blame on God. Or you should say all the credit. We take all the credit, and then when something goes wrong, we blame God. The Africans that I've been around, they put all the credit on God, and when something goes wrong, they blame themselves. Those are smart people. We, we really have a high-minded pride in America that we are self-made. We, we, we forget that it's the hand of God on this nation because we were founded on the Bible, and the, the blessing of the Lord has been here. The blessing of the Lord makes our minds sharper. The blessing of the Lord makes our technology better. The blessing of the Lord allows us to be wealthy. There's been many a thesis and many a paper written on why African, the African continent is so rich in goods, yet so poor. And my explanation is because they've been pagan for 6,000 years. Only within the last 200 has Christianity come to the continent. So even though you have all the diamonds in the world and you have all the, all the wealth and all the gold and all the, all the different minerals and resources, until God, the blessing of the Lord is there, you're not gonna know what to do with it or how to get it out. And that's why we preach the gospel. The gospel prospers every nation it goes to. And if you ever noticed, every pagan nation, excuse me, every third world nation in the world is pagan. I always like to make the observation that if it was not for the Christian nation inventing the combustible engine, the Arabs wouldn't have any money because we wouldn't need their oil. And as it is, we keep discovering new oil in the Christian nation. We don't need their oil. God bless the geologists that invented fracking and shell oil. God hinder the hypocrites who think it's going to kill the earth. Amen. It's because of the Christian nations of Europe and America that we are industrialized and the rest of the world has any money or technology because we invented all of it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. And we're talking about getting a heart for stewardship. For what maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Again, I just want to prove over and over again, everything we have was given to us. You cannot say I'm a self-made man. You cannot say my strength has gotten this. You cannot say uh, my intellect has gotten this. You have to say the Lord has opened his hand and provided this for me. Because if the Lord, if the Lord were to take anything back from you, you just instantly stop existing. I always like to tell the story of uh, Pastor Keith Moore he shares a story that one time he was, of course, if you know who Pastor Keith Moore is, he's a great pianist and singer and songwriter and a great preacher. But he said one morning he was worshiping the Lord. He said, Lord, I just wonder how much of this that I do for you is really you and how much is just kind of my ability, just kind of being born in me. And he said he prayed that, kind of wanting to just test God. And he said, as the honest truth, the Lord honored that wish. And he said, I could do nothing all day long. I couldn't play the piano. Couldn't even think how to. I couldn't write. I couldn't function. Couldn't even operate in the office there at the ministry. He said, I realized by lunchtime, I'm a drooling idiot without God. <laughs> My words, not necessarily his. But 
He just, you know, he's a man who knows God and is submitted to God, but it just, you know, just kind of get the wondering sometimes how much of what I do is an anointing and how much of it's just my innate ability as a human being born into the earth. Well, apparently only breathing <laughs> is innate. The rest of it is God's gift upon your life. So we have to be mindful that uh, everything we have is from God. Now, if you did receive it, if thou didst receive it, why do you glory as though you had not received it? Why brag on it? It's all God anyway. Stewardship requires a servant's heart. You must see yourself as having been set over God's possessions. Realize that if you own a business, God is going to judge you for how you grow or shrink that business. What we are allergic to as Americans is W-O-R-K, work. We're allergic to it. I'm hearing more and more people complain about this millennial generation, how, how lazy and entitled and emotionally insecure and insensitive it is. We are raising up a generation just to completely dissolve the world. And it's bleeding up into us. And so we have to make sure we as Christians, we're not allergic to work. Stewardship requires work. It takes work to have a budget. It takes work to, to take care of your body. It takes work to maintain your vehicle. It takes work to maintain your home. It takes work to take care of a pet. Isn't it sad that even the government gets involved when people can't take care of their pets? And they got a thousand cats running around a trailer. Even the government says, that's messed up. Even the federal government, who we don't trust with anything, can look at someone who can't even take care of a pet and say, that's messed up. You're going to jail for animal neglect or whatever they call it. Stewardship takes work. And one of the things we're allergic to as Americans because of our flesh nature is work. And so you're going to have to get a work ethic again. Thank God we still got farmers and country folk who know how to work because the technology age does not afford me much of anybody a work ethic except for the handful of people in Silicon Valley that work 90 hours a week to give us the technology that makes us lazy. Those folks know how to work. They work 90 hours a week programming and writing code and building laptops and Macs and iPhones. And we just sit in our chair all day long and just wonder why our house is falling apart around us and why our kids are weird and going to hell. Because kids take work too. Without work, you will not be a good steward. So you must rise up and do something. Love, not sleep, the book of Proverbs says. Amen. You must see yourself as having been set over God's possessions. Don't you know, if I were to loan you one of my guns or a power tool or loan you my truck and you brought it back beat up, scratched, damaged, rusted, don't you know I'm going to be a little hot? Do you think you'll ever get to borrow the pastor's Tacoma again? No. Even the guys I trust with my truck, I just remind them, this is my truck. It's all you need to know. It's 10 years old, looks brand new, runs like a top because I take care of it. Don't you be the one that messes it up. I, we had, uh, when we first got married, my truck was three years old I'd, uh, and my wife was at Averett and I was at the zinc mine and gas prices went to $4 a gallon. So driving 30 miles in a Tacoma at 19 miles a gallon, $4 a gallon, you say, honey, I want the Corolla, you have the Tacoma. But that's my Tacoma. And I think, what can go wrong? You're just driving from one side of town to Averett. And I'm driving, you know, 35 miles to Carthage. 
And so uh, she, she, the company used, and if you've ever been to Averett, their parking spots are like for little Mini Coopers. It's the most ridiculous tightwad thing I've ever seen in Cookville. Yeah. <laughs> Which might be a good thing, actually, come to think of it. Anyway... So she was. She and her coworker had to be used. They, her boss used her to, to transport some stuff for a dinner because she was in human resources, and they had. And so her coworker got in my car with one of those big pans that was full of like, a casserole or lasagna, and getting out in those tight spaces, she just drug that thing across my door, and there's this massive scratch, on my interior. And so I saw that, and I said, "Honey, dear sweetie, newly wedded, lovely wife that I love so dearly, how is it?" I took a Tacoma on a construction site in Knoxville for two years, parked it under bridges we were building, drove it around rebar and drilled shaft construction and never put a single scratch interior or exterior on the thing. You work in corporate America. You park it in a nice parking lot under a shade tree and on the third day, it comes home with a scratch a foot long. How does that happen? I was looking at that scratch last night going... It's been seven years that Scratch has been there. It's been seven years that Scratch has been. Now, that might be a little bit excessive. But see, that's just me. You can laugh, it is excessive. I like my stuff. I don't want to have to replace it. It's paid for. It's my favorite vehicle ever. It's my dream vehicle. God gave it to me. Why would I dishonor him by, by growing out of love with the thing that he blessed me with? If we can see that everything we have, God gave to us, and he's going, to give, he's going to ask us for it one day, or ask an account of it, you're going to take better care of it. This region, and this is not the only region, but this region doesn't get stewardship. We, and now that we live in a disposable society, we don't fix televisions. We pitch them and go buy another one. They, technology is such you can't fix things anymore. It's all solid-state electronics. It's not like the old cathode tubes and cathode rays and, and vacuum tubes. You can't repair stuff anymore. It's just replaced. We, we're losing this thing called stewardship, and yet we're demanding that God replace it and bless it when he's not going to. He's not a fool. He does not reward unjust stewards, and he doesn't reward laziness. In fact, what the Bible teaches us, and we'll see it in the weeks ahead, the Bible philosophy is actually, he that has little and has been irresponsible with it, we're going to take it away from you and give it to him that has a lot. That's the opposite of communism, socialism, and the American federal government. The American federal government says we take it away from those that work hard and have a lot and we give it to the shiftless person who won't even lift their hand to feed their face. Amen. It's an abomination to the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's not biblical. We have to realize that God's not going to reward our laziness. So don't expect your business to grow nor your income to grow if you cannot account for what you already have. All right, let's keep reading here. Matthew 24, 45 and 40 through 47 says, who then is a faithful and wise servant? I want to be a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his whole household to give him meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all of his goods. Who is the faithful and wise steward? It's the one that keeps doing the last thing he was told to do. It's the one that takes care of his master's household. It's the one that is responsible, that knows how to run his master's household and takes care of it just like it's his own. When that master comes back, he will give him anything and everything he wants. He'll set him over everything. He said he'll make him ruler over all of his goods. Ruler, not just servant, but ruler. 
A faithful servant cares for the goods of his master's household, and in so doing, he will earn a promotion and be given more things to be a steward over. Lazy, slothful people are never promoted, nor are they ever entrusted with more things. Think about on your job. You don't promote the lazy person. The lazy person is the first person you are looking to cut when the recession hits. I tell you this, managers and bosses, they pray for recession from time to time so they can have a reason to cut people. If you'll work hard, your boss will fight to keep you when recession hits. You work half-heartedly, your boss will be praying for recession so they can get rid of you. We have to be good stewards even over our jobs. In the above parable, the slothful servant is cut off and judged as a hypocrite. We don't have that verse, but it's verse 51. In that parable, when he doesn't do what he's required of him, the Bible calls him a hypocrite. Why, what makes him a hypocrite? The fact that he claims he loves his master, but won't take care of his master's stuff. Apparently, that's a hypocrite. You say you love me, but you won't take care of my stuff. You say you honor me, but you won't take care of what I give you. You say you're for me, but you're not for my stuff that I gave you to help do the mission. You can see how it's hypocritical. And and just in case you didn't know, the gospel isn't just about Jesus loves you. The gospel is about ruling and reigning in the earth and learning how to take care of God's stuff. When we die in this life, we're not done. There's a millennial reign to come back. And if you didn't know a millennial is a thousand years, that's a lot longer than the 70, 80, 90 years we're going to live. Like a lot longer, order of magnitude longer. And so it would behoove us to be good stewards now because though we may be miserable for 80 years, we don't want to be miserable for a millennial. And I'm convinced some of us will be ruling over nations in the millennial reign when Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom, and some of us will be street sweeping in the bad part of town in the millennial reign because we were so lazy in this age. This is the gospel. The Bible teaches us if we're faithful and we're just stewards now, we'll be given rulership and leadership over much when he comes to establish his kingdom. All right, this shows us that God views Christians who are poor stewards as hypocrites simply for not taking care of God's stuff. Deuteronomy 8.18 But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. You have wealth because God gave you the power to get it, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. We are allowed to get wealth. We are the wealthiest nation on the planet because we were founded on Christianity, and from day one, we have been concerned with evangelizing the lost. From the day the pilgrims set foot, they were concerned about the salvations of the natives. Just as a side note, worth studying are the Jesuit missionaries that came over from Europe to witness to the Huron Indians and all the Midwest and the Great Lake Indians and how many of them were filleted alive by the Indians for preaching the gospel. They won converts, those Jesuit missionaries, but many of them were killed alive because the Indians saw how tough they were and they wanted to consume their energy. So the pagan Indians, you know, the ones that Disney romanticizes, the pagans ate these missionaries alive filleted their skin while they were still living and ate it in front of them. I I have a, I'm going to say something controversial, upset you. I think the sin of the North American continent came up to tab and God said, I'm done. Just like he said, the sins of Canaan have not yet been filled yet, but when they are, you'll have the land. That's why Abraham couldn't have Canaan land yet. The sins were not filled up to heaven yet. 
they were dispossessed because of their sin nature. And I have a, a personal doctrine, a personal belief that the sins of the Native Americans, as we call them, Native people, finally came up before God and God said, I'm done. But he still sent the missionaries to witness to them. And some of them got converted and some of them ate them alive. And where are the Native Americans today? On reservations, alcoholics, worshiping their demons. That may sound racist to you. That may sound very un-American to you. But we have to look at things not in terms of modern politics, but Bible patterns. He was much more merciful to the Native Americans than he was Canaan land. The the, the pilgrims came and they missionaried and they evangelized and they didn't want to kill anybody. They were just wanting a new world and they wanted to dwell together and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many did convert and assimilated into Christian society. And those that still retain the paganism are still demonized to this day. Consequently enough, the Christians also hit Central and South America. And those people are still there today, Catholic. Just saying, just making an observation. Amen. You don't have to agree with it. You can call me a racist bigot. Did you know my grandfather was half Cherokee? You see pictures of my grandfather. My, my grandfather was a pastor, Baptist pastor. He looked like an Indian. That makes me like 100 something. Doesn't matter. I ain't getting no money for it. Actually, I probably could under the, this administration. I got, I don't know, maybe not. I'm too white. All right. Everything we have has been given to us. It is God who has caused us to acquire things and prosper and get gain. Even the paycheck we may earn from a secular company comes to us by the hand of God. God causes us to prosper in increase. And the increases of God are not for us to squander exclusively on ourselves, but so he through, hit, through us might establish his covenant of salvation throughout the entire world. We ought to want money not because we're selfish Americans, but because it affords missionaries vehicles. It buys missionaries plane tickets. It builds children's departments. It, it writes curriculum. It writes books. It puts telecasts out there. That's why we ought to want money, because it's a tool. It builds stuff. When we start worshiping the tools, we're idiots. Amen. There's no cult of Black and Decker. There sure is a cult of money. The need of a, for a heart of stewardship, if we can remember everything we have been given belongs to God, will help us to always stay humble and trust in God. It is possible to get haughty and leave God. Deuteronomy 32, 15. But Jeshurun waxed fat. That means he prospered. That means you need to Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers. It means Jeshurun prospered. This Jeshurun is another name for Israel. And kicked, that means left, rebelled against God. Thou art waxed fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Jeshurun's another name for God's people. Uh, This verse tells us God prospered Israel, but this prosperity and provision led to Israel forsaking God and lightly esteeming Jesus. Because they did not keep their hearts right, the increases of God caused their hearts to puff up in pride and even leave God. We have to resist that as prosperous Americans. We are not so much a hungry nation of believers because we don't need God right now. But thank God for this persecution that's come to the current Obama administration. It's caused the church to wake up and start praying again. We're seeing that money doesn't buy us liberty. Only prayer does. And so uh, we, we were blessed and prospered through the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s. And now that our liberties are at stake, we're starting to pray a little bit more. We're starting to turn spiritual again. We're starting to realize we can be blessed and still be cursed. We can have money and still be a slave. Amen. Amen.
We are watching that happen in America right now. God has blessed America, but the prosperity of God has led some to believe we no longer need God in America. I don't have time for Sunday night service. I have a football game to watch on my 98-inch television, flat panel plasma in high duff with uh, x-ray goggles and surround sound. I'm blessed. I don't need God. I don't have time for him. Yet who's the first to cry out to God when they get cancer? Oh, then they remember God. Yeah, cry out for God when you got cancer, but cry out for God when football's on too. Amen. Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50. Behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Here's the sin. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idols. Notice homosexuality is not ministered or mentioned yet in Sodom, the home of sodomy. The first sin was pride. Fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty. Then they committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. You know, God has a right to take people away as he sees good. The sin of Sodom was not homosexuality alone. According to this verse, it's the very last sin that cropped up. It's the very last sin. According to this verse, it was pride brought on by prosperity and having more than enough. That was the sin of Sodom. Pride brought on by prosperity and abundance. The abundance in their lives brought about laziness. Gosh, this is America. This is Cookville. This is Nashville. This is LA. This is New York. This is sea to shining sea, from the mountains to the valleys, to the hills or whatever, white with snow. It's everywhere. Then they began to play with sexual sin. We like to always point out, you don't see homosexual nightclubs in third world nations. They're not exactly a gay bar in Zimbabwe when they're having to borrow food from Botswana. Because when you're hungry and your children have blowflies in their face, you're not thinking about sodomizing your neighbor. You're thinking about needful things. Amen. We cannot afford to get puffed in our minds thinking we have accomplished anything. Biblically speaking, there's no such thing as a self-made man. It is God who promotes and prospers us. Psalm 103, know you that he, the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and his we are and not we ourselves. Notice he made us, we are not self-made. We are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. If our hearts aren't full of biblical stewardship, we will think we are self-made, self-promoted, self-supplied, and self-sufficient. We can even begin to chase after mammon. If you think you have to earn mammon, you'll always serve mammon. You don't have to earn mammon. God supplies it. He supplies your needs. You just, you just earn promotion. You don't have to earn mammon. You just serve God. He'll supply the needs. He'll prosper you. He'll take care of you. But if you're always afraid you've got to work harder to make more money, you'll always end up serving mammon. And we don't, we don't serve mammon. We serve Jesus Christ. We serve God Almighty. He supplies the needs. He opens up his hands. He prospers us. But if we don't have a budget, if he opens his hand, it's going to fall through the sieve that is our business procedural, our business model. Every business, every business ought to have a business plan. Every business ought to have a business model. And every business ought to have a budget. But see, God's not a fool. He's not, he's not going to break his law because he loves you. 
He's not going to bend the rules because you're spirit-filled and pray in tongues. He's not going to open up his hand of provision when your ledger has a sieve in it and no money is ever accounted for. And he'll be merciful and keep you out of the poorhouse, maybe. But until you have a budget, you're not going to prosper. You don't even know what's coming, what's going. How can you, how can you ask? You have not because you ask not. How can you ask if you don't even know what you need? A budget is the best way to know what you have need of. Brother Hagen taught us, if you don't know what you need and you ask for nothing in particular, that's what you get is nothing in particular. Uh, at least a budget gives you an accurate thing to aim at. Lord, we need $105 this quarter. That's not much. Maybe for you it is. Lord, we need $105 every hour. We need that to come in. How do you know that except you have a budget to account for it? Lord, we're on track right now to be $5,000 short by the end of the month. You have to do something, Lord. You supply the needs. That's the need. You promised to supply it. We're tithers. We're givers. We're faithful. We have a budget. Here's the need, Lord. You have to supply it. Now you have something to leverage on in prayer because you know specifically what you need. But this whole winging it thing, it's an American invention of laziness. Just because our mascot's an eagle and it has wings doesn't mean we get to wing it. We got to be more succinct and more planned and organized than this. It's just business wisdom. Amen. There comes a time you must master money if you ever want to advance. All right. If you realize God supplies your needs and he gives you to you out of the abundance of his treasury, you'll never chase after mammon. We don't chase after mammon. We chase after God. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient, able, or have the ability of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency or our ability, our ableness is of God. You are not self-sufficient. Now, we understand the expression, the business is self-sufficient. We raised our teenage daughter. She's self-sufficient. But we're talking about in life, in Christ, we're not self-sufficient. We learn self-sufficiency because Christ made us able. We learn how to balance a budget because Christ made us able, but we're not sufficient of ourselves. We have no ability in of ourselves, even as Pastor Keith Moore's story kind of illustrates. If it weren't for him, man, we'd just be vegetables in a bed with some brainwave function, with some nurse who trusts in God changing our adult diapers and rolling us so we don't get bed sores. We're, our sufficiency is not of ourselves. You gotta get that out of your mind. Our sufficiencies of God. Finally, remember, we are not capable of doing anything without God's help. Acts 17, 28a says, for in him we live and in him we move and in him we have our being. If we can get this in us, we'll start to see the promotions of God. You'll gain a momentum. You'll gain advancement. Uh, without a budget, without financial stewardship, without time stewardship, without bodily stewardship, you're going to cut everything short. If you learn to master your body, it doesn't matter if you get sick, you can get well again. If you learn to master your time, you can lose some time here, you'll gain it back there. But if you're always behind the eight ball as a human being, well, you're never going to go anywhere. Too many Christians live their entire life physically, time-wise, and financially behind the eight ball. And those Christians, we're always having to bail out. We're always praying for them. They're, they're the burden to the body of Christ and not the burden bearer. And Galatians says we're to fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. Well, you can't really be a very successful burden bearer and help the weak when you yourself are always behind the eight ball. And so in Christ, 
in this Christian walk, we ought to be getting better as human beings. We're born again. We have the Bible. We have the authority. We have good teaching. Uh, we have a voice. We have prayer. We have a backbone. We have muscles. There's no reason why we shouldn't get better and begin to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Until then, we're the one that always needs help. And there's nothing wrong with needing help, but you ought to get to a place where you don't always need help. Amen? Amen. All right. Father, I thank you for this second lesson. Bless the truths that are contained in there. Help us, Lord, to be better stewards of your stuff, our bodies that you've given us, our vehicles, our homes, our money. Help every one of us to be a good steward of our time. May every one of us resist this laziness and this slumber that consumes the end time people. And may we be alert and awake, diligent, and focused on the gifts and the talents and the power at hand. May we glorify you on our jobs, with our money, with our businesses. May we organize things because you're a God of order, not a God of chaos or confusion. Father, bless us and may these truths change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.